I remember, I remember a time when I was finishing up grad school. I was 25, and I really had no idea what I wanted to do next. Uh, I had a great job. I was the assistant golf coach at Liberty University, and it was, it was a ton of fun, and I got to travel around and paid for my grad school, but I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do for, you know, forever. So I started looking, and if anyone who's you know, either recently graduated or just realized it's not as easy as just, you know, get, get a degree and then your dream job is, is waiting for you. So I, I looked at a bunch of, bunch of different things. I said I was 25 single. I could do pretty much whatever I wanted. So I, I heard about this program where you could teach overseas at English-speaking schools, and they would pay off your student loans if you committed to doing a couple of years of it. So that sounded great. I figured I'd look into it. I was up for an adventure. So I looked at teaching English in Thailand. I applied to be a gym teacher in Kenya. And uh, I was also looking at some, a, a few other, something in Nigeria. Uh, and none of those opportunities ended up working out. Uh, looking back, I'm kind of glad that they didn't work out. But through that process, I got in contact with a missionary couple who was at one of the schools. And they were sending me just some emails back and forth, telling me what they were doing. And in the final email they sent me, just the way they finished it, it's, it's, it's a statement and a line that has stuck with me since. And this is what the missionary said. He ended his email by simply saying, remember, there is joy in serving Jesus. It, it was so simple. But 10 years later, that line just sticks with me. Remember, there is joy in serving Jesus. I find myself going back to that quote on a regular basis, even recently as just there's so much going on and I have the tendency to get anxious, get stuck in the details, feel like there's just a lot and I just, that line has been running through my head. There's joy in serving Jesus. And it's been so helpful to kind of take, take your eyes off of everything and, and, and look up. It's almost like when Peter is trying to walk on, he's, he's walking on the water and he's looking at Jesus and he's doing good. Then his eyes go down and he sees everything. He's like, oh boy, what did I do? But there's a joy in serving Jesus when you, when you keep, your, keep your eyes on him. So this is the third week in our Advent series. And we've been looking at four themes and how they connect ultimately to Jesus. And this week our theme is joy. And biblical joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not necessarily because of their joyful situation and circumstances, but because of God's love and promises. You know, Advent, it's all about looking back in order to look forward. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look back at the story of the story of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, his birth story, and then we're going to look forward to how what happened then has an impact on our now and our future. And this is probably a familiar story for most of you in here, uh, even if you haven't come to church much. If you've watched the Charlie Brown Christmas uh, story, you've heard Luke chapter 2 being read. And... For me, it's a very familiar story, but this week as I was studying it and looking it through the lens of joy, there was definitely a few things that jumped out that I had never uh, really paid a ton of attention to before. So if you have your Bibles, actually, no, um, don't, don't open your Bibles. What I want you to do is I want you to just listen and hear and don't be distracted by trying to read along. And I'm going to start by reading the first, the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so all went to be registered, each to his hometown. And Joseph 
also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. It's amazing how simple and matter-of-fact Luke is about the birth of Jesus. You know, here we have the mystery of all mysteries. The incarnation, God taking on flesh, becoming one of us. And Luke just sums it up in a couple of sentences. A decree goes out from King Caesar. His authority can't be questioned. A census and a tax is happening, and each person needs to go back to their hometown. Joseph needed to go back to Bethlehem because he was from the lineage of David, the lineage, the line of the kings of Israel. And if Rome wasn't in power, someone in Joseph's line would have been king, maybe even Joseph. But that wasn't the case, so he was traveling back like everybody else. Mary would not have been required to go, but I'm sure she went along because she wanted Joseph, she wanted them to be together for the birth of her son. So I was, I was thinking about that journey, and it was a long trip. I want to put up, uh, you know, you can, you can map quest, Bible, like, this, this is all real stuff that was happening. So, you, the, so this, this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem that they took, it was about 90 miles. And so, you know, it's a two and a half hour car ride. But since that was not an option, <laughs> with the roads that they have set up, it's, you know, 32 hours if you take Route 65. <laughs> but it's uh, 35 hours if you take Route 90. Um, Again, neither of those existed. But imagine having to walk with your pregnant wife from here to Boston. Like, it's a pain to drive. (laughs) Never mind, never mind walk. And And that's what they set out and did. I mean, we're not even, you're not even supposed to fly. If you're 36, we get the ladder in your pregnancy, they're really discouraged. Never mind, you know, do this journey. There's no mention of a donkey, but I'm sure they probably had to have something for Mary. And as they're camping out every night, I'm sure Joseph was, I mean, this is real life. I'm sure swollen ankles and all, he's given foot rubs at the end of every day. Because this is a long, difficult journey. And when, they, and when they get to Bethlehem, there's no place for them to stay. The inn uh, was full. The inn's, it, you know, wasn't a holiday inn places weren't necessarily set up like for, for traveling. Uh, but again, the story is just told so simply. There's no dramatic, like they have in some of the movies, there's no dramatic search by Mary and Joseph for some place to stay when it's raining and she's screaming about to go in labor. Like, that's not in there. It's just very simply, there was no place for them, so they had the baby in a stable, in a manger. I just think, what a scene The birth of the king of the universe is just told so simply. It's as if God went out of his way to make sure he got no preferential treatment. Um, The king of the universe, so delicate, so fragile, laying in the hay next to an exhausted mother and father. And then the scene shifts and things start to get pretty interesting. So if we want to, going on, verse eight, it says, in the same region, There were shepherds out in the field, 
keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all people. For unto you is born in this, this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. These shepherds out in the field get absolutely no warning about what's to hit them. They weren't like waiting on pins and needles. They were just out minding their own business. And an angel appears to them and tells them this incredible announcement. Now keep in mind, like even in the Bible, angels don't just show up and talk to you. I mean, I know there's stories of that, but that's really spread out. So they would have been just as surprised and terrified as you would be if all of a sudden an angel showed up and started talking to you. The shepherds, it says, they were terrified, and the appearance of the angel filled them with great fear. So the NIV says, yes, translates this word as terrified, but the Greek word is megas, which is where we get our English word mega from. So what he's saying is these angels showed up, angels showed up, and the shepherds were mega afraid. They weren't just afraid, they were mega afraid from what they saw. And with a few exceptions, this is always the reaction angels get when people appear to them. I'm wondering if that gets annoying after a while. It's like, greetings, ah, calm down. We get this every time, calm down. And so angels are always having to assure people like, it's okay, you're not gonna die. Now here we go again. So the angel assures them, fear not, because they're about to get hit with a message of good news that will bring them great joy. So if you look at how it's written, uh, Luke is saying, your mega fear is going to be transformed into mega joy when you hear what we are about to say. We have an announcement of good news that's going to be great joy for all the people. For in the city of Israel's kings, in the city of David, a new king was, is born. And so Luke, his wording is intentionally provocative here because to write that a savior was born, a Christ who is Lord wasn't just some feel-good analogy. That was a very dangerous, even treasonous thing to say, thing to say uh, when it was written at a time when Rome already had a king whose name was Caesar. And Luke even borrows some of the same language that was used to announce when an emperor was born. So the birth of the Roman Emperor Augustus, a news thing went out through the whole Roman Empire with the report of good news, same wording, of, because of arrival of a savior who was Caesar. So this is like, he's using the same language to describe the arrival of Jesus. And when he says, when he's talking about peace, that this one will bring peace, this was at a time when Rome already had peace. It was called the Pax Romana. And so this was not, again, this is not just a feel-good like, thing. This is a contrary claim going out that there would be peace on earth because of a new king. So in a country that already had a king, already had its own good news, and already had its version of peace, to some, the birth of Jesus was a threat. But the people who heard it, were, they, if they were listening, um, 
you know, there was no neutral reactions here. And everyone who was paying attention acted accordingly. And I want to highlight this morning the response, the response to this familiar message. message. Because Christmas, it requires a response. If we take seriously what Luke is saying, there's no room for that middle ground of like, huh, that's a nice story. I'm glad that works for you. No, this is, this, this is the proclamation that there is a new king who is good news for everybody. So Matthew records when Herod heard this, heard that a rival was born, he sent a hit squad. Like that's, I mean, it sounds extreme, but think, put, you know, put yourself in the position of a first century king and someone says, oh yeah, there's a new king that was born over there. Like that's what you do. So Herod's reaction was, was, what, you, was what you would expect. But I want to focus not on Herod's reaction, but on the angels and the shepherds. Because when they hear this good news, what they have is an explosion of joy. It's as, if the, it's as if the angels could not contain themselves. They're almost like, it's happening. It's begun. We know what's about to take place. And so they just, after the announcement, they explode by saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. You know, talk about a night you would not forget for years to come for those, for those shepherds. And now in the story, the, sh- the scene, it shifts back to Mary and Joseph. I'm going to pick up in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned from there, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So, so much for any bit of privacy after the birth of your first son, uh, I couldn't even imagine that, thinking through how much we wanted privacy after our first was born, to never mind have this caravan of shepherds show up. But they respond in obedience to the message of the angels, and they race over to Bethlehem to see if what the angels had told them was true. And after seeing Jesus, and after kind of seeing what they was, were told is true, they, cannot, they couldn't contain themselves from going out and testifying to what God has done and is doing. It says they returned glorifying God and praising him for all they had heard and seen. That was their response. Uh, I came across a quote this week. It was by a, a missionary whose name is Leslie Newbegin. And it's one that really stuck with me because it talked about how our response to Jesus is an explosion of joy. And this is what he says. Mission. Mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? The mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is more like the fallout from a vast explosion, a radioactive fallout which is not lethal but life-giving. I thought that, I thought that was awesome. 
The birth of Jesus, it's like an explosion of joy into the world, like a radioactive fallout, which is not lethal, but it's life-giving as it spreads. You know, the reason why the birth of Jesus was so exciting to the shepherds and the people that heard it was that this baby who was born would be the savior of the world. And now where we are, we can look back and celebrate not just on the birth of Jesus, but we look, look back in remembrance on his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Because in order for Jesus to be the bringer of joy, he had to become, as the prophet Isaiah said, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. At Christmas, we look back and we marvel at the humble origins of Jesus' birth. That God went out of his way to have no preferential treatment. That the people that heard the first announcements were the commoners, were shepherds. That God is for, God is for every man. But as you look at the story, his birth was only the beginning of his willingness to be our humble savior. He was just getting started. In Philippians chapter 2, it's a passage titled with the heading, Christ's Example of Humility. And this is Paul looking back on Jesus, and I just want to read a few verses of that. He says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is the same in Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself becoming, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what Paul is saying here is that when Jesus became a man, he didn't become less God, but he laid aside his rights to be treated as king. He willingly laid aside what was owed and deserved him to be treated like a servant. And so he says, have that same mind among yourselves, that type of humility. So I don't know about you, but personally, I really resonate with truth in a deep way through music. Music's always been something that, uh, that I love and almost feel like there's some truths that are so great, they have to be sung like, talking about them is just too weak. Like, you have, to, you have to sing them out. And one song that has always really deeply moved me, talking about, it was based off of that, that passage, that Philippians passage, but about the humility of Christ, is a song by my friend Aaron's band called Lower Still. Uh, I'm not going to play it for you because most of you would hate it, lyric, uh, hate it musically, but lyrically, it's amazing. And it starts with the birth of Christ and goes all the way to his resurrection. And it shows the trajectory of how he continually lowered himself more and more and more. So let me read it to you, starting at his birth. It says, look, he's covered in dirt. The blood of his mother has mixed with the earth. And she's just a child who's throbbing in pain from the terror of birth by the light of a cave. Now they've laid that small baby where creatures come eat, like a meal for the swine who have no clue that he is still holding together the world that they see. They don't know how low he has to go, lower still. Look now he's kneeling, he's washing their feet, though they're all filthy fishermen, traitors and thieves. Now he's pouring his heart out and they're falling asleep, but he has to go lower still. There is greater love to show, hands to the plow, further down now, blood must flow. All these steps are personal. 
all his shame is ransom. Oh, do you see? Do you see just how low he has come? Do you see it now? No one takes from him what he freely gives away. Beat in his face, tear the skin off his back, lower still, lower still. Strip off his clothes, make him crawl through the streets, lower still, lower still. Hang him like meat on a criminal's tree, lower still, lower still. Bury his corpse in the earth like a seed, lower still. But then the earth explodes, she cannot hold him, and all therein is placed beneath him. And death itself no longer reigns, it cannot keep the ones he gave himself to save. And as the universe shatters, the darkness dissolves. He alone will be honored, we will bathe in his splendor, as all heads bow lower still. As all heads bow lower still. Just the lyrics, I always think, can you believe that God was willing to humble himself that much, that at every step did that, so we could be reconciled to him, so we could know him, so we could experience joy, and he could be glorified. And this truth requires a response. You know, both Herod and the the shepherds, they had logical responses. But for those who it was good news, it wasn't just good news, it was good news that produced mega joy. It was mega good news. The man of sorrow... Jesus became a man of sorrow so we could experience joy. So this Advent season, we look back in order to look forward. And like I said, some truths are just too good to be talked about. They need to be sung about. And so I intentionally cut my message short this week because I thought the application of joy, I feel like, should be more singing. The application of joy should be more singing out. And if you're in here this morning and you're just not feeling joy, Sometimes you need to take your eyes off your circumstances. And without, you know, without it being just turn that front upside down, you can still take a realistic look at your circumstances and look to Jesus. And you can sing out for joy because it's, this, this is all true. Like, this is all true. We can celebrate because Jesus is risen. You can have joy because he is your joy no matter what. Mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? So let's raise our voices together and celebrate with joy.